Not Podcast Universe, hosted by me, Jordan. And me, Micah. And why are we here? We're here because of something very simple. We exist to prove people wrong when they say this little phrase. Sequels are never better than the originals. And we go through film franchises. They've got to be a trilogy and they've got to be theatrically released. Why else are we here today? We're here to talk about this the series I've heard of. Um, it's called Star Wars. A few people have seen it. Yeah. Um, I a mean, little obscure, but a little we, don't obs- o- we don't only hit the hits. In yeah. This. Yeah. We don't only do the Godfathers and the Before Sunrise trilogy and, and like the Dark Knight. Sometimes we got to dig deep. We got to do a, a little, a little actually independent series in a way. And so today we're talking about that series. And we're talking about the third entry in the first iteration of Star Wars, Mm -hmm. in a way. Which is? Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm slightly confused, and I'm going to figure it out. We're we're, we're planning on taking a break, so I'll I'll figure it out within that break. But I'm having trouble finding out uh, when Star Wars A New Hope came out. When you went and saw it in theaters, it was called Star Wars. Yeah. Later, it's retitled... Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Then when The Empire Strikes Back came out, it was called The Empire Strikes Back. Episode 5. Well, that, that was in the crawl, but it was just called The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, okay. And then later retitled Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. So, this movie, I'm really trying to figure out if, like, if you went to the theaters and saw a marquee, did it say Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi as movies like... From here on out, they are they have the those are like their full titles, um, or if that was a retitle and it was just called Return of the Jedi, it does have the episode six in the opening crawl, but I, I'm just my obsession on that is uh, driving me nuts. Yeah, I will be honest. Uh huh. I zoned out. Yeah, great, great. Well, that's for someone out there. Yeah. Um, but this is when I think. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about with George Lucas really comes to fruition. So as a little reminder, he's a film student. He likes uh, the technicalities of film. He makes a few movies. Well, he makes THX, which does really bad, but people think is artistic and good. He does American Graffiti, huge hit. Does Star Wars, way bigger hit. Does Empire Strikes Back, uh, funds it mostly on his own. But does then, not direct it though. Does not direct it, um, but does have to, uh, you know, get out of bank loan and all that stuff. But now he's in this position where him and many other filmmakers of this time are like, wouldn't it just be amazing if we could just put our noses up at the studio and say we don't need you? And so this movie, Return of the Jedi, George Lucas funded this movie. There's no if, ands, or buts. He funded this movie. Now, of course, there are other producers, but it's like his company, and he's taking care of it. There's no studio involvement in this besides distribution. So, all of this to say, his dream is now realized in regards to his artistic intentions in that, in that regard. So, I think this is a very interesting part in his life and his career. Mm-hmm. As is kind of all of it, because mm-hmm. he's one of the more interesting filmmakers for ill or for not ill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I want to fill you in on something I found out today that I think is commendable. So when Empire came out, 
he made Buco Dolores. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Buco Buco Dolores. Um, but he shared the profits, a lot of the profits from Empire, um, giving out five million dollars worth of bonuses for everyone who worked on the movie. Whoa. Over five million, actually. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's pretty cool. Then of course, you know, the last movie ends very much like he's ready to make another movie. So um he starts looking for directors. But why does the other guy not work for another movie? <clears throat> oh, I forgot to look that up. That's okay. Um, I think I actually may have covered that last week. Okay. Um, but here's what's wild. In episode four, he chose to do something that people weren't doing, which was all of the people involved were going to have their credits at the end of the movie. Star Wars. So when the movie starts, it says Star Wars, or, you know, the galaxy far, far away, Star Wars, opening crawl, and it does not say who directed it, wrote it, and who's in it, which is highly unusual. And you're not, at the time, you weren't supposed to do that. Per, you were like, supposed to do everything in the beginning, and as a kid, just being like, oh my gosh, start the movie. That's how I always felt watching, like, an 80s movie. Oh, me too. Now I love it. Yeah, I don't mind it now. But as a kid, I was just like, why are they taking forever? Oh, seriously, yeah. Um, and sometimes, like, if you were at home, you, like, just, just fast-forwarding fast stuff. Yeah. But that was, at the time, highly irregular. And the studios were like, okay, we're going to let it slide this one time. And, we're, and it'll be fine, but we're going to let it slide. But on Empire, he does the same thing. And they're like, yeah. You owe us a quarter of a million dollars now. And so he pays a quarter of a million dollars so that he can have the credits at the end of Why does Empire. he have to pay a fee for that? Because it was going against like the, the director's guild, the writer's guild. Oh, so it's almost like a fine. Yeah, and the motion picture association. Micah, Micah. What? Put down your phone. What? What was the first time you saw this movie? Oh, yeah. Um... Well, can I finish the thing I was saying? Because I was kind of in the middle of it. Fine. So they fine him $250,000. And he pays it. And then he's like, you know what? I quit the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, and the Motion Picture Association. And so I am now going to make Return of the Jedi without any of these guilds that you're supposed to be a part of. Wow. Not a union man anymore. Crazy. And what's even crazier, and then we'll get back to when I saw it, um, is he was going to hire Spielberg to direct this movie. That would have been awesome. Yeah. It so, would have been a better movie. I think, actually, that's that's probably why there wasn't the Kirshner of it all. Hmm. Um, oh, because they just had another vision for this. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I think I think Kirshner, it was not an easy shoot. So I don't know that he was, I'm projecting a little bit here. I don't know that he was like, yeah, Dying I'm ready to, to go the for the next one. Um, but uh, I wish Spielberg directed it. I know. Because it kind of has some Spielberg-esque touch, but it's just not nailed like Spielberg would nail it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But... Spielberg was not allowed to direct it because George Lucas had quit the Directors Guild, oh, geez. the Motion and Picture Association, and the Writers Guild, so he was not like legally able to work on the movie. Oh man, that's pretty interesting. I know, I know. Isn't that? It's like a uh, what? What could have been? I know. So, um, 
But yeah, why don't you tell me about when you saw it first? I don't know. It, just like the other two, it's always existed. Yeah. I always, growing up as a kid, was very, could, could never figure out the difference to, between Ewoks and Wookiees. I think I kind of thought that like Ewoks were like baby versions of Wookiees uh-huh. or yeah. like um, cousins uh, to like the, in the species. the same familia or something. Yeah. Um, not confused anymore. Yeah. But I loved Ewoks. That's what I think that's my biggest takeaway. One of my biggest takeaways from the tr- first trilogy are the Ewoks. Yeah. And how cute they are and fun. I will say this movie relies way more on the creature aspect than the other two. Yeah. Kind of at a, at a detriment level, in my opinion. Yeah. A little too much. Do you want to expound on that now or later? Later. Later. Okay. Well, but I love the creatures. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's come like on. If, we're if big the creature heads. Is to have more or less. I will say always have more. Yeah. But I think this could be an interesting example of too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's an interest. I've never thought of it in the way you described it, and I'll have to process that as we go along. Because um, I think that this movie this time around hit me um, less than it's ever hit me before. Me too. But I love this movie. Don't don't get me wrong. I love this movie. But I've always been like, oh, yeah, it's just like barely not as good as the other two. But this time around, I'm like, oh, this is like considerably not as good as four and five. This movie, uh, there are like clear storylines I care about and other storylines I don't care about. Yeah. When in the other two movies, I cared about all of it. Yeah. And I, and I I think like, well, we'll get into it when we get there. Wait, when did you see it? Um, I don't remember when I first saw it. Um. But yeah, I mean, it, it was just a constant rotation of just like, well, mm-hmm. which one do I want to watch? The mm-hmm. one with this crazy slug yeah. and teddy bears, or do I want to watch a crazy snow battle? Yeah. Um, do I want to see the emperor, or do I want to see um, them break out princess? You know, it's just yeah. like, I don't know. I just want to watch them whenever. Yeah. Um, and I, I think... I. I I'm okay. I'm connecting. I think this happened in the last episode. I'm connecting some weird childhood obsessions with movies to this. Um, I think I've always been so um, surprised and confused by the titles of the movie. Like I've I've understood what they are, but I think as a child seeing there's four, five, and six, and just being like, "But there aren't one, two, and three. I don't understand." And then when they finally wonder that for very long. Right, because I, I think by the time I would have seen this, there might have already been like, oh yeah, they're they started working on it. The first one came out in ninety nine. Ninety nine, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think I was just like very confused by that. I don't think I was aware of that. Yeah, ever or uh, as a kid. Okay. Until like growing up and hearing like you have to watch it in this order, and it's yeah. just like, oh, okay. Well, and I think this also establishes my. My other obsession, which is like, like if someone says, hey, I'm, I've never seen Star Wars or I'm about to show my kids Star Wars, I hear often people like, yeah, I'm going to start with episode one. And I'm like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You, you cannot do that. And then when people have asked us, like, how are you guys going to cover it on the podcast? I'm like, that's never, ever it's been a, a question no for brainer. me. Like, we can't start with episode one. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Because it's the fourth movie. Even yeah, though it's it a is. prequel. Well, even if it's a prequel, prequels, th- this is the thing too with, with prequels that are made after the fact 
yeah. of the other things is they do rely on you knowing what's going to happen. Right. So that's why the weight of Anakin's story is, I know there's so much more weight to it than if this is a character we've never known about and he's just some kid that's going to grow up to be some powerful figure. But the fact right. that we know his fate makes it a little, uh, provides a different type of tension. than if, Right, because it's like, when is the turn? We already know it's coming. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I think just think that's crazy. Yeah, and and it, uh, yeah, the Anakin stuff, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of poetry and in symmetry that that Lucas is trying to establish too, where it's like, look, he's he's just like Luke, but this is like the alternate version of Luke, mm-hmm. and you can you could tell the like you could technically do the prequels first. Um, obviously, they'd be different movies, but um, I don't know some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses are of the movies are because they rely on. Oh, of course. I mean that what's come after after, but technically before that, that's always the, the rope with the seat with a prequel. Right. And I don't I feel like prequels often just, you're, you're already starting behind. I feel like when you right. want to do prequels, cause I mean like the Hobbit's bad. Fantastic yeah. beast is bad. The star Wars prequels. I, they're not great. Well, we'll see. In popular opinion. We'll see. Hopefully. I'm saying in, po- I'm know, saying in popular culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's a weird... I, I think... Well, I guess that's a conversation we're going to have next week. Not this week. We don't have to get into the prequel conversation I'm just thinking about this, this now. I feel like what Star Wars has going for it, though, is it's not based on anything. Of course, right, it's, that's a, big, a, nice it's a big world and books have been made since the trilogy, the originals. I know Fantastic Beasts isn't technically based on anything, but it is, I think, more so than Star Wars. Well, one of the one of the things that I don't think uh, is a problem for Star Wars that's a problem for most prequels, and this is my like criticism of prequels that we talked about with The Hobbit and Fantastic Beasts, is you can't have the main event of your world. Okay, the ring... Or Harry Potter. Those are clearly the main events that happened in those worlds up to that point in history. You cannot then go back to the prequel and try to make something that's the same calamity or bigger. Yeah, that that's the fatal mistake. Because it ruins the punch of what happens afterward. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of Star Wars is uh, it's, it's just like a galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so even though, even though the prequels get really big... Um, it doesn't really matter because they can either get bigger or smaller in the next series because they they connect because there's characters, not because of events. Events, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean events too, but yeah, yeah. It's it's just interesting. It's interesting because there isn't really like an all powerful thing established in the Star Wars movies that like oh if we destroy this evil goes away. Yeah, it's I like, know. It's just crazy. Empires with... rise, empires fall. Empires yes, rise, yes, yes, empires yes. fall. It's just history. But Fantastic Beast is just crazy, man. I know. I know. Because and by now it's... we would have recorded, released the third one, but we haven't seen it yet. And who? I, it's just like that. That series is international. Uh huh. It's got. It, it's America and England. Yeah. And Harry Potter never goes anywhere else. I know that there's other like people from other countries involved but it's not not on that scale well and like so it's, it's it's almost like why in harry potter if voldemort is like the baddest guy of all bad guys and the biggest threat to wizards 
ever. Yeah. How come all of these American characters have nothing to do with it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah. That's I, another I, I big problem. I know I'm getting in the weeds. I really am. No, but... but- well, I think what's I think one of the other things that really hurts Fantastic Beasts is the world of the Harry Potter series is so methodical and planned out. And then this world pre-Harry Potter is like not as thought out. No. So things happen and you're like, that doesn't make any sense based on what's already been established. No. And, and, and it just sucked in in both movies, there was like a huge battle. At the end, where they're basically just like, yeah, superhero movies are in, so we have to copy them. So they're like, let's do the Battle of New York in this movie kind of thing, like in Avengers. And they do it in both movies, and it's in such a way, if I'm remembering right, that muggles see it. Yeah. Which makes me think, when I'm watching, um, uh, uh, is it Order of the Phoenix, where the Death Eaters start like messing with bridges and stuff? That might be Half-Blood Prince. It's Half-Blood. no. It it might be Order of the Phoenix. I think it's Order of the Phoenix where it begins and uh-huh. there's like natural disasters yeah, because, happening. Because then Harry goes on trial before going back to school and Umbridge is part of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, then she's the dark arts teacher. But like that, that was cool because it's like, oh, this hasn't happened before. And muggles are like, what is happening right now? There's like supernatural forces. But if 50 years ago there were, it wouldn't be as crazy. Harry to and Ron them. got in trouble for flying a car. I know. I we can't. We we got to talk about Star Wars. Oh my gosh, I'm getting mad. I'm I know. I know. Mad. Um. Yeah. But anyway, he couldn't hire Spielberg. Uh huh. Um. But he did approach David Lynch to direct the movie, who uh said uh who okay. had zero interest in directing it. I'm gonna make Dune instead. I wonder if he'd already made it by then. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um. And then. Marquand, Richard Marquand, who is the director of this movie, um, he directed a spy thriller called Eye of the Needle, and that that's that's what he did before this movie. Um, he doesn't have a very a career that I recognized anything from, really. Um, the screenplay is by Lawrence Kasdan and Lucas, again, but it also has an un- uncredited contributions by David Peoples and Richard Marquand. And apparently Carrie Fisher. Oh, I didn't see that in the reading. Or it was one of the one of them. Oh no, maybe it was a prequel. Remember, I said that. Yeah, in the first you were talking episode. about a prequel. Whatever I said, guys, that's the one. Yeah, not this one. I would have been surprised because I did a lot of research on. No, this I one bet. Too. It, I think it was actually a prequel. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, originally, so this is interesting because I had only heard the second half of what I'm going to tell you, but there's a first half. George brought forth this movie to his producers and Lawrence Kasdan, and he said, Howard Kazanjian, who's one of the producers, and Lawrence Kasdan, here's the title, Return of the Jedi. And they said, that's a weak title. And then they changed it to Revenge of the Jedi. But doesn't that go against the core beliefs? Exactly. But this movie had been, you can even see trailers, like the original trailers, they say Revenge of the Jedi. Oh. And there were posters and all this stuff. And then like weeks before it came out, it was then called Return of the Jedi. Wow. And that's part of why I'm having trouble discovering the actual theatrical title, because every article I look at talks about that story, not about... Oh, that makes sense. You're not going to find the answer to that. Yeah, but I got to figure out how to title this episode. So whatever this title of this episode is, that's the answer. That's what it was called when you went to the theaters. Um, so... Harrison Ford, like the first movie, 
Uh, so after the first movie, Fisher and Hamill, they signed two more movie contracts. Harrison Ford signed by each movie. And so he signed for five, and then they were like, we don't know if we're going to get him for six. And, and then they brought in a truckload of money. <laughs> well, th- th- here we go. Howard, and I, don't, I really don't know how to pronounce his last name, but one of the producers uh, had this to say. I played a very important part in bringing Harrison back for Return of the Jedi. Harrison, unlike Fisher and Hamill, signed only a two-picture contract. That is why he was frozen in carbonite in The Empire Strikes Back. Oh. When I suggested to George we should bring him back, I distinctly remember him saying that Harrison would never return. I said, what if I convinced him to return? George simply replied that we would then write him into Jedi. I had just recently negotiated his deal for Raiders of the Lost Ark with Phil Gersh of the Gersh Agency. I called Phil, who said he would speak with Harrison. When I called back again, Phil was on vacation. David, his son, took the call, and we negotiated Harrison's deal. So the script was written before Han was in it, in it all the way? Uh, I don't know exactly when they started writing it. Because hmm. I don't know exactly when this took place. But he negotiated the deals. If George went into all of the pre-production of like not expecting any of that, yeah, I think it shows. Well, there's, there's a lot more on the Harrison stuff. Okay. Um, so after Han doesn't got a lot to do in this movie. <laughs> well, after he negotiated with Harrison's or with um uh Phil Gersh's son, Phil got back to the mm-hmm. office several weeks later and called him and said that he had taken advantage of his son in the go- negotiations. <laughs> what was his son like 10 years old? Don't you want Han Solo to be in the next movie? <laughs> um but he claims he did not take advantage of him. Anyway. So Harrison has famously said this, that he thought that Han Solo should get killed off. Yeah. Now, Lawrence Kasdan, screenwriter for Empire Strikes Back and this movie, agreed with Harrison. So when they were working on this movie, he was like, what we need to do is we should kill uh, Han Solo off at the beginning in an act of self-sacrifice. And th- wow, in the beginning. And this is Harrison's Kinda idea. crazy. Like, yeah. that should happen. Um and then it will it will be like finishing his character. He does something you know sacrificial, and then it would also let the audience be like, "Oh, this is I don't know what's going to happen in this." But Gary Kurtz, producer of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, but was replaced and did not produce this movie, says this. He claims that George wouldn't kill off Han because of toys. Luke Skywalker was also... Oh, I think I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Luke Skywalker was also to have walked off alone and exhausted like a hero in the Spaghetti Western, but according to Kurtz, Lucas opted for a happier ending to encourage higher merchandise sales. Harrison Ford himself has agreed with this sentiment, saying that Lucas, quote, didn't see any future in dead Han toys. I've heard that quote exactly. Is that in that book? Uh, no, I don't. I think the book kind of. No, it doesn't there, talk but, about that. But yeah, I've heard that, and that's the other weird side of Lucas. That's this big artistic guy, quote unquote, doesn't want to serve a story's purpose if they figure it out a genuinely good way. Yeah, because of sales. And I, I know because that that's the rub where 
And oh, I have, and I'm going to save it for the end of this episode. I have a heartbreaking quote from George Lucas himself about himself and what he has become. Oh, gosh, from my the, heart is already breaking about it. I think the 2000s. Um, because he, he does sort of, like it's like, I want to be free. I want to be a free artist. And then some say he, it, it goes back and forth. It's like, how do you want to argue it? Where it's like, he made a movie that he knew everyone would enjoy. But at the same time, it was really hard to make. Did he really think everyone would enjoy it? I'm not sure. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to franchise this. I'm going to make sure I have the toys. I'm going to make some decisions based on that. There's a lot of people who think the Ewoks were made to sell toys. Yeah. So it's this weird irony and, and this weird just like head against head where you're like, is he doing this because he's an artist or is he doing this to make money? Is he trying to find a balance? And I, yeah, I think there's something in between because even like the special editions, which we were going to talk about at the end of this episode as well, their fans don't like them. And yet he's like, but they are my artistic intention and he's not willing to let those go. So there's part of me that's like, if he was a savage, ruthless, I only care about money guy, he would just be like, oh yeah, let me release them again only on a specific format and make billions of dollars. Well, probably not billions on that, but millions. But he's not willing to do that. So it's so hard to yeah. understand who this man is. Yeah. He's not black or white. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you want to hit an actor? Oh, okay. Yeah, come on. Um... Ian McDiarmid, I don't know if I said that correctly, he plays the Emperor. Uh, he is also in Britannia, Lost City of Z, Sleepy Hollow, a lot of classics like Rebecca and Great Expectations. It's in the Lost City of Z? Well, we didn't finish the movie. That, well, that's crazy, yeah. Um, and while we were watching it and he, he makes his entrance, yeah. I said, wow, that looks a lot like the actor from the prequels. And Micah <laughs> said... That is the actor from the prequels. Yeah. And I never knew that. So he also just plays the Emperor in the other movies, too, which is crazy. It's and insane. He's so, he's so good. He probably is the, has the best performance. Oh. I mean, I, I think I think Mark Hamill has yeah, a really good performance, yeah. too, but like this is like like peak like bad guy yeah, stuff. Yeah, this yeah. is what you want from a bad guy. It's it is so nuts. Yeah. I I feel like I didn't know that until like episode nine came out, which yeah. which feels like a, a fact I should know, but it's like, yeah, in this movie, they age him up. Mm -hmm. And then by the time they shoot the prequels, he's like age appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then by the time they shoot nine, he's age appropriate. So well, it's I forget so cool. too that he doesn't look that way. Like he transforms into how he looks. Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that later today. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. Do you know how old he is right now? He was born in 1944. 1944. So he would have been early 40s when they shot this movie. When did this movie come out? It came out May 25th, 1983. So they Wait. would have shot it in 82. Um, so yeah, he would have been like 41 or 42. Are you doing 38. the math? 38. Wow. So yeah, they really aged him up. That's so cool. I, I that That's one of the things. Only 78. Well, I mean, that's pretty old but whether you like the new move the new movies or the old movies or whatever you stand it's pretty cool that they got the same actor to do that mm -hmm. part yeah 
Is that all you got right now? I can do another. Do another. Okay. I also wrote down Tim Rose, who plays Admiral Akbar. Oh, cool. Uh, he is also Howard the Duck. Oh, cool. And he is in a Muppets Christmas Carol, and then he's also Admiral Akbar in the other Star Wars movies. That's Fun. cool. That's great. I've always loved that character. Yeah. That's a trap. I love it. Yeah. It's the best. And it was so cool in Rogue One how there was another of his species that that ran that like hammerhead ship. Mm-hmm. So cool. Um, okay. So back to this. Um, Richard Marquand really didn't have a lot of experience with special effects. So George Lucas wound up being on set often. Mm-hmm. And remember, in, in Empire Strikes Back, he was rarely on set. Mm-hmm. He's on set often and did a lot of the second unit shooting. Yeah. Which. That's interesting. Starts to fill in some of the details mm-hmm. for me a little bit. I mean, it's just so clear to me that the fifth movie is the best directed movie. Yes. Of, of these trilogies. I don't know if maybe we'll change our mind on some of the other stuff, but of the original trilogy, he is the best of, of these three directors. Um, and it's when we finished it last night, I was like, oh man, I feel like Marquand is good, but it, it, it doesn't feel like it quite has a pizzazz it could. And then finding out George did a lot of the shooting too. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why we're back to like more static camera, a lot less movement. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much deliberate movement. Mm-hmm. It feels like so, you know, um, but I want to retell a story we told in one of our Harry Potter episodes. Always comes back to Harry Potter. There's um there's this man named Warwick Davis, mm-hmm. and he was once a boy, mm-hmm. and he was once eleven years old, and his grandmother, um, who was they were they're British. I don't remember what town they're from, but they're from somewhere over there, and across the pond, <laughs> she hears on the radio that they have casting calls for little people, so mm-hmm. that they can be the Ewoks in this movie. And she says, Warwick, you should try out for this. So he tries out for it. He gets the part, which becomes Wicket, mm-hmm. is the, the Ewok's name, and that's the main Ewok in the movie. And so whether you like the Ewoks or not, we got Warwick Davis. Yeah. So it was worth it. And you can see set photos of him, and he claims he was the most excited of anyone on set. 11-year-old boy, come on. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. He's the best. We love Warwick. Yeah. Um, but I had not learned this fact about it. Kenny Baker, who plays R2-D2 in these three movies, um, he was supposed to be Wicket. Oh. But the day they had scheduled out for it, uh, he was really sick and like couldn't work. Oh. And so they were like, why don't we just use this kid? And they did. Wow, that's that's movie. I know that's movie facts. That's fun to know. I know, isn't that awesome? Yeah, I love that. Um, so finally, uh, you are right in maybe confusing the Wookies and the Ewoks because all along George Lucas always planned for it to be Wookies, but then once they got to making this, they ran movie, out of hair. <laughs> they had to make the costume smaller and shave the hair down. Yeah. Um, when they were working on this movie, he felt like Chewie had shown so much emotional range and, and, uh, he just felt like he wasn't a primitive creature and he wanted sure. primitive 
creatures to be these creatures. And the light bulb went off in his head, and he thought, I got another idea for those Wookiees. Yeah, so they worked on a ton of designs until it wound up being the Ewoks, Mm -hmm. which really aren't as bad as their rap has given them. They're still fun. Do people not like them, besides the toy comment? I I think there's there's a large portion of people that are like this is the proto gungan which is you know the the jar jar binks oh. race and while i don't disagree with that i think this is like the good version of what what like fun cute characters can be and and the gungans are like the bad version i'm of just that. glad that they gave us so many of them there's like yeah, yeah. dozens <laughs> yeah. of them and they're all very varied yeah um yeah uh, budget of this movie is $32.5 million. Uh, domestically, it makes 309 and worldwide, it makes $475 million. That's a lot. The rest of my notes will come up as we go through the film. We'll cover the last actor. Okay, please. Sebastian Shaw, uh, who plays Anakin Skywalker. I also didn't remember how many times they said Anakin yeah, in yeah, this movie. Like when they said Anakin, you were like, Oh, they say Anakin in this. And then they say it so many times after. <laughs> so many after. times. Um, but I, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, they do. And then I, because I, I always liked that name. And I said, I bet, so I bet there are a couple of people out there who named their kid Anakin uh-huh. because they love Star Wars so much and it's a cool name. And then the prequels came out and they were like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, by then their kids, like, dang it. Well, yeah, no, their kids are getting picked on. Or actually, no, the kids are young enough that they're probably like, I'm Anakin. Hopefully, hopefully, but all the parents are making fun of them. Um, Okay, but Sebastian Shaw, he's also in Murder on Rainbow Row, It Happened Here, Scotch on the Rocks, and various other things I did not recognize. Okay, very cool. Mm -hmm. So are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Let's jump in the pool. I should have said, let's jump in the Sarlacc pit. Okay, so I got full confirmation here. I went to IMDb, and I went on titles. And on any movie, you can look at the the titles and the list of titles. Uh, And I even backtracked with the previous movies that it says original title Star Wars, original title The Empire Strikes Back, and then it said original title Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Okay. So that is what I'm going to go with, and that is what I am going to stick with. Okay. And then from here on out, it is that format. But those first two because of this obsession with titles that we discussed in this episode mm-hmm. and, and all that, I, I'm very adamant about sticking to the theatrical yep. of it. So this movie begins with me telling you one more fun, interesting fact before we get started. And that is they called this movie, um, like the the name while it was shooting was Blue Harvest. And with a, a title, like a subtitle that said Horror Beyond Ima- Imagination okay. because they were getting price gouged by people because people knew <gasps> Star Wars. Oh. So a supply that costs one buck, they were like, oh, that's going to cost two bucks. So they were like, the movie's called Blue Harvest. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Which the Family Guy spoof movie of the first one is called Blue Harvest. So. Oh, okay. Um. Anyway, so how does this movie start, Jordan? Do you recall? Um, um, it starts with a title crawl or yeah, with a scroll of words telling us, does it talk about Han Solo still being frozen and with Jabba the Hutt 
and um, I'm already. I think so. I mean, we. I think we can get past a crawl. But every sentence. Uh, what happens is we see one of the great. Um, I don't remember what these ships are called, but the the ships where their wings fold up. Okay. And then they fold down. Those are empire or empire uh, yeah. ships. Okay. Yeah. And um, it flies down into, um, I think, the Death Star. Yeah, I think you're right. And we see the, the half-built Death Star, which looks insane. Looks so good. It looks so good. Mm-hmm. Um, flies in, and the first character that we're introduced to is Darth Vader in this one. Yeah. And once again, they decide to play the Batman theme for him, which is weird. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's like the original. Yeah, I don't know. so weird, John. Um, he comes out, we meet like a new commander, whatever, like the commander of mm. the station. And he says, Oh, that the emperor's coming because he's not satisfied with what your guys is with how much work is getting done. He's coming here. Yes. He's coming here. We'll double our efforts. I always loved his line delivery of double our efforts. Yeah. And I can never say it as fast <laughs> as he does. Double our efforts. Um, I, I love what, what this movie does really well throughout the whole thing is like the whole empire part of the story is awesome. Yeah. And I, I agree. I love this tension of like the absolute fear of Darth Vader walking down. Like this guy is so scared and he's like, uh, hi, Lord Vader. He's trying to be, you know, professional. Yeah. And then when he hears that the emperor's coming, he's like, in his mind, he's going, oh my gosh, I, how do I get out of this? I would love, <laughs> uh, potentially a, a movie or a story i don't know it just there's so much of the empire dudes that are working there and i'm just always so curious like what's the backstory like yeah because it's all humans always yeah and it's like where are they from what why are they fighting for this cause uh-huh all like all this stuff I'm always I'm... curious but it's also like i don't want to know because i want right. it to be continue to be clear yeah. Who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? Well, and and I mean, I think you're tapping into this this double. Ed, uh, all uh, all of my thoughts and feelings on Star Wars at this point in my life are kind of like George Lucas, where it feels like every opinion I have is a contradiction of itself. Yeah. Um, because what I love about Star Wars is how what you're saying. You look in there and you're like, what's a stormtrooper's day to day? Yeah. What's the emperor doing when he turns to those two random people and talking to them? What like it's so it demands every frame for you to ask like a thousand questions. But simultaneously what I don't like about Star Wars is how there you can find an answer to all of those I, questions. I feel the exact same way. Like I like I mean it, on the one hand though, it, I think it's fun for people who do like diving in that far but some of the stuff that i don't like about um future things and and certain elements that they've kind of incorporated in star wars it's like i i don't want to have to know some of this lore yeah um which maybe sounds silly because we love lord of the rings but i feel like that's more based on lore and this is more like no this is just a lived-in world and we're throwing you in there with Luke Skywalker, who doesn't know anything. And those guys are bad. The end. Yeah. Um, I do. I, yeah. I do really like because in the the newer movies, Donald Gleason is like yeah. the admirable or a- admirable. I think yeah, you he, said that last episode. I think I did too. Admiral yeah. or general or whatever. And I I think I like it 
so much because I know him. Yeah. I wish I knew him. But like, um, so I'm a fan of that actor. And yeah. I feel like he, I, I mean, I do truly believe that he provides a really good performance. Uh-huh. Um, but I do feel like that's a little bit, you get a little bit more out of his character than all of these other ones. Yeah. But, and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. So it's almost like you do get a little bit more Jordan. Not sure. Everything, but a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that it's for me, it's that weird, weird contradiction of knowing that every single person in Jabba's palace has a Wikipedia, Wikipedia, you know, entry where you can read everything about that person where it's like, I don't know. Sometimes it's fun that it's just a weird looking guy. Yeah. To me. Um, but yeah. Should we get to Jabba? Well, yeah, that's what's next. Okay. We get to see C-3PO and R2-D2 traveling through Tatooine again. Uh-huh. And this is the first time that I we revisit Tatooine. forgot that Jabba's lair is it actually in a fortress. Mm-hmm. I always thought that it was on a moving ship, but that comes imminently. Yes, his barge. His barge. Um, Please. <laughs> Use respect here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, as a kid, Jabba kind of scared me. Yeah. But not so much that I couldn't watch the movie. Yeah. But he's very gross. He's very gross. And he gross. has women chained to him. Yes, he does. And he throws them into pits. So why wouldn't I be scared yeah. of him? Well, he's a gangster. Yeah. And um, the, again, the, this becomes like a contradiction kind of. Uh, Boba Fett, we go back to Jabba's palace. Yeah. And Boba Fett now rules over it, the Book of Boba Fett. And it's pretty fun to see all these sets again. Wait, Boba Fett rules over the Slayer? Yeah. Because oh. Jabba is dead now. Oh. He takes over. Oh. Um, which is cool. But then also at the same time, I'm like, but I'd like to see new stories. Yeah, right. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I like this story. Yeah. So why am I upset by this? Because I like the whole show. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's that's that's how Star Wars feels to me now. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, so C-3PO, R2-D2, they get there. There's that cool, like, gate which behind the scenes, I mean, there's a huge gate there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they get let in. So let's get into the creature thing right off the bat. Okay. Because the they are met by like pig trolls. Gamorrean guards. We all know that. Gamora. Um, <laughs> yeah. They look cool. They look great. Um, and then they they take they lead them so they say that they have, yeah wait hold on they have a uh, message for Jabba from Luke yes so uh, they're trying to negotiate their way inside and then yeah. what's that other dude um I don't know what he is he also scared me as a kid yeah he's scary he's a little Satan looking but he's awesome looking yeah he's got like a little like tail thing off of his head but it's all flesh colored and yeah. disgusting and he has like red contacts. Yeah, and big long nails that he kind of strokes R two that I don't like. He's so in gross, a good way. I don't like it, but he's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, they love the language stuff. Yeah, love that C three PO really gets utilized in this movie more than once about his whole language thing. Yeah. Uh, but they negotiate with him to be taken to Jabba, which that guy takes them, and then mm-hmm. we are introduced to all the creatures. Yeah. In the corner, there is a elephant, blue elephant, that is clearly made out of a pillowcase. Yeah, Max Rebo and the Max Rebo band. So the elephant doesn't look good, in my opinion. Yeah. You see him later, too, and it's like, that just looks like it's silk. I don't know. It's just like he, a pillow. 
he, yes, he charmingly looks bad. If that makes sense, like my I, yeah. my nostalgia thinks he looks good, no, but yeah. he doesn't. It's just this is the first time ever, and I've seen this movie a million times. Yeah, it's it's the first time I've I'm noticing these things. Yeah, and then there's that other little puppet that hangs out with Jabba. <laughs> yeah, he looks like straight up a Jim Henson puppet. Yeah, he looks like he's in uh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yeah, and I don't hate it. At all. Yeah. But it's also like there's just some stuff in this scene that's too puppety. Yeah. To me. And you know, in the last episode, we talked about how Yoda, who was a po- puppet. Yeah. It's like, I don't really get that, though. Yeah. C- yes. Yeah. Uh, so I agree with you. Um, and and again, contradiction. I love the creatures. Me too. But I want also, them all to be in there. A, it's just a little too much at the same time. It it feels though like like this Jabba's palace feels like the the series was in this interesting like fantastical almost like <sighs> horror's the wrong word but yeah. but like that that feeling when you're watching a an old horror movie and it's all practical and you're just like no way that looks crazy yeah that feeling not the horror part of it and then this one feels like it moves into Muppet zone yeah and I wonder it. It feels like some of that's the design, and some of it is. I think a lot of it maybe the like, like the comedic nature of some of it. You know, like yeah, like a blue elephant is just kind of inherently goofy to look at. Yeah, and then like the the person that's singing, which I know. Yeah, we no one sees that anymore because it's been animated, and there's a whole right. number now. But I also just don't like that one either. I, yeah. I kind of like could do without th- just how so, much time they spent. Okay, but on it. here's what's crazy. Um, in in one of the the docs I was watching, Carrie Fisher talked about how, for some reason, like in the Jabba's palace, George Lucas got like really invested in like the music scene. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Which is kind of funny because then he goes back and he adds like this huge long musical number that it, like. Like, there's a creature that sings to the camera, like, breaks the fourth wall in a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. It's one of the... I know we talk a lot about, like, Han shot first and, and like, the Anakin ghost, which we'll talk about at the end. And, and I think there's another really, like, really big change that he made that just sucks. Mm-hmm. But this might be, like, the craziest because of the tone. Mm-hmm. It's, like when you're watching that special edition, you are absolutely ripped out of the movie and you're like, I'm watching a weird music video. Mm-hmm. Um, but another weird thing is like John Williams composed the song, um, not the special edition one. Well, he may have, but the one that's in this movie and his son wrote the lyrics and then they like made the lyrics like a different language, which is kind of cute and fun. That his son was a part of it, John Williams' yeah, son. Yeah, that's it's not that's fine. I think it's maybe a bad choice to begin with. Yeah, I just it's it is interesting, and I'm not saying they need to do this. They shouldn't do it the same way. Yeah, but it, it's the the other time where we're introduced to a scene full of creatures is in the first movie. Uh huh. And that is very much like it, it wherever the camera is sitting, there's like five layers of creatures in the background. Yeah, that just goes deeper and deeper back, and you see something new every time. And this scene is the same way where yeah. I do f- like find a new creature every time. Found some really cool creatures this time around. Yeah, there's one guy who has like a crazy long, like like a now three thing. foot long like snout face. He's cool. So cool. 
But there is also just maybe it's the way it's shot. Maybe it's just the scene itself. Yeah. Something about it. It's just too puppety. You know what I am going to say, though, um, as an argument against what we're saying? Yeah. Because I want to just accept everything Star Wars is the difference between those two sequences is one is a scummy bar on Mm -hmm. the edge of town. And this is like a hedonist paradise. So maybe maybe they're I, I don't know how well, the deliberate tone they are. Be the same. But the tone is so much different that yeah. I don't even really think about the bar. Um and so you know what? I, I in that regard, I do kind of respect the choices they made. And for the most part, I do like the creatures. There's just a few that are like that just don't feel very Star Yeah, Wars. or maybe it's just like they spend a little too much time. Yeah. Instead of like, let's get the story going. Yeah. Is maybe more of what I'm feeling. Yeah. This movie is way, like, this movie, I feel like way less happens than in the other two movies. Yeah. And I've never noticed that before. I know. Yeah, this time it really sunk in how long they're on Endor. And I feel like. I feel like they needed another planet or something. Like Han and Leia don't have much to do, especially Han. Mm -hmm. Like, has nothing to do. Well, let's let's wait on that. I know. Um, Because what I want to talk about is something that astounds both of us. And that is. Jabba. Uh-huh. Jabba is unbelievable. Uh-huh. And here's what we got. He was kind of based off of... On. Well, yes. Uh, George said to the designers, uh, I want something kind of like Sidney Greenstreet, who is an actor that's in um, uh, Casablanca, and he's a larger fellow, but yeah. he's in Casablanca. You'd recognize yeah. him if you looked him up. Um, which is sort of an insult to that guy, I think, because they got to Jabba. Yeah. He looks a lot better than Jabba. But um, here's what we got for how they puppeteered it. You have one person on each arm, uh, one for the head, one for the eyes, and then one little person inside, like his body, operating the tail. That's five people. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I it's, it looks so good. It's 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 kind of mind blowing. And and later when Princess Leia kills him, first of all, the puppeteering of having his tail squiggle mm-hmm. is so nasty. Mm-hmm. And then when it dies, it you it feels like he dies. But they're they're able to make the life go out of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Puppeteers are able to do that because mm-hmm. when he dies, it's like oh he's dead. Mm-hmm. And all the tongue movements are crazy. Yeah. Puppets are cool. It, that that goes under the column of why are we so heavily invested in CGI? I know. These days. I know. But then the argument against it is like, okay, that's how many people? Six people? Five. Five people? Uh, and, and hard to do. Mm-hmm. What if they could just do it at a keystroke? Mm-hmm. I know. But then again, you probably still have... You probably have 20 people working on one, so... Yeah. I guess it's job security to have more people work on it to get the special effects. I think um, it's also faster. Yeah. At the end of the day, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I think, I'm not an expert. Uh, it probably just depends on the situation. Yeah. Because there's some stuff where it's like, why is that CG? That That's silly. And then there's other things, you know... Putting putting uh, uh, makeup all over Josh Brolin and making him taller and giving him a prosthetic face would have just looked bad for Thanos, mm-hmm. you know, and taken way more time. Anyway. But 
have has anyone seen Tim Curry in Legends? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but C three PO and R two D two are taken to Jabba, and they yeah. say that they're trying to bargain for Han Solo. Yep. He is still frozen in carbonite. Yep. Um, you got it. And Jabba will refuses, and instead is like, "I'll take these robots." Yeah, I don't want to get rid of my best wall wall decoration. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that camera movement where it shows him is great. Yeah. Um, but then there's there is that song which I is before Luke shows up. Yeah. And there's the dancer, Twi'lek. That's what they're called. The people with the crazy um, tentacles on their heads. The green girl. Yeah. And I think that that guy is also a Twi'lek who's got the one. Is that also the character that's in Mandalorian? Yeah. Yeah. So they're different colors. Yeah. Fun. But I'm probably going to get a correction from either my sister or from Mike by the time I've finished saying this sentence, correcting me on some information I just said there. But he has one tentacle. Yeah, they're probably different creatures. Um. Yeah, so she gets fed to something underground. Yes. And do you want to know about the Rancor? Yes. Now, originally, George Lucas, being a fan of old movies, he was like, we got to have a guy in a suit, like old Godzilla kind of status. That's what we got to do. And And then it kept getting bigger. Well, they kept on trying, and it just never looked good. And Mm -hmm. you can see pictures of, like, practical Rancor. You can see that. Um, Is it practical, what we see? No, I mean, I'm sorry, like a guy in a suit. Okay. You can see that, and it doesn't look good. Okay. Um. So instead, it is a, a creature that's like maybe a little bit taller than my Hydro Flask. Yeah. Stop and motion. It's, it's stop motion. I, it I, looks really good. And the well, movements look good. They're shooting 90 frames a second. Whoa. And, and I know um, when I was looking at stuff from Empire, like the faster you shoot something, the smaller you can make it to where it looks realistic. Uh-huh. So if you're shooting something... Like, at 90 frames, you can make it look really big, and it'll have realistic movements. But if you shot that same creature that size at 24 frames a second, it would look small, even if you, like, scaled it up. That is one of those things where I know you're right, but yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, like, uh, it's just pure math. You just yeah. have to yeah. know math to do that. And I don't. So right. that's I, great. Yeah. That's It looked so good. Yeah. it's. I love the design, too. Yeah um another another one that goes in the column of let's let's make some practical monsters yeah it's it's crazy um so uh but we don't see it yet because we don't see it yet uh so r2d2 and c3o are taken to like a robot area where they're assigned places to go so c3po becomes the interpreter for java yeah and then sometime later uh a jawa and well is it no it's just a person in a mask uh, comes in with Chewie. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not a Jawa. Chewie is chained. Uh-huh. And there's a bounty on his head, too, of course, because he worked with Han. Yeah. And the person wants 50,000-somethings, monies, and <laughs> is bargaining with Jawa. Yeah. They decide on 35 or whatever. So Chewie is now prisoner to Jawa. Yeah. I like saying Jawa. I like saying Java too. And this mysterious figure is just like cool, like my big payday. And, and that's never it. see them again. So I think that Anthony Daniels is especially good in this movie. Uh-huh. Um 
and and this scene we're talking about is is one of my favorite parts where he's you know like translating back and forth uh-huh and then they're like you're gonna take this deal because he's holding a thermal detonator and then yeah. it's like i like where he that's great he says the price that the the bounty hunter wants and uh-huh. he translated it and Jabba hits him and knocks him over and he like flies back yeah. up and he's like, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Chewie is taken prisoner and this is the first time I've ever realized that Chewie is put in and taken to a prison as some sort of fake out in every single movie. Yeah. Faked to get down to the prison cell. He's such a damsel in distress. <laughs> uh, Lando tries to put uh, uh, restraints on him to fake him out in uh-huh. Bespin. And then finally, here. Yeah. Um, and then of, over cover of Nightfall, that mysterious creature person comes in and they pull back the, the carbonite. The creature falls down, or the carbonite wall falls down. Yep. Han is thawed. He's thawed. Love the touch that he can't see anything right away. Yep, that's a great touch. And he's like, who are you? And she says, um, someone who loves you. When mm. she takes off her helmet and it is indeed Princess Leia. Um, and this is when we find out that Jabba and the entire palace have been hiding behind a little curtain mm-hmm. that pulls back like you just got out of the shower. And they're all laughing maniacally. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. I know that voice. I know that voice. And... Uh, that's kind of cute when you think about it. They all, it's just like, imagine Salacious Crumb, the little rat guy, by his, by his That's tail. That's what that thing's called? Yeah, Salacious Crumb. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> everybody, we gotta be really quiet for the next hour to see what happens. <laughs> it happened. Go, 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 go. <laughs> um, so then they're captured. And then this is when Luke comes in, right? Um, Like the next day. <laughs> Yeah, because um, Leia oh, yeah, is taken Leia's, prisoner, and she's in the slave outfit. Achi chachi. Yeah. yeah. Um, Micah has an awakening as a child, <laughs> and several other people. <laughs> I, well, I think I think tech. So I think we've discussed Leia this. Leia is on your Samwise Gamgee. You had a crush on her, and you didn't know it. Yes. Um. But I do remember thinking that I had a crush on her. Um. Like like playing Star Wars with one of my friends. And I was specifically thinking of like Princess Leia in the first movie. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And then of course we all know Jennifer Garner was my real first like crush crush. Yeah. You've been talking about that a lot lately. Well, she was on the Oscars presenting. <laughs> You're welcome on the podcast anytime, Jennifer. I don't know if I could handle it though. You'd have to do that one by yourself. I'd be too scared. She I'd seems be, very nice. I'd be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, we can never have Jake on. Dylan Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he ever, if either one of them called, though, we'd have to answer the call, like the Ghostbusters, the Lady Ghostbusters. They have to answer the call. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> maybe cut this out. Um, really? I'm joking. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay. Reset. Okay. So then Luke comes in the next day wearing an outfit that might be my fave of his. Looks great. Uh, he looks very zen. Yes. He looks like he's reached a new level. Yeah. Um, he force chokes the Gamorrean guards, which I always attribute force choking to evil. But maybe he does it until they pass out and he doesn't kill them. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I just had thought that that was like, like you never see Are a you good sure they're guy choking, and he didn't like put them to sleep. Yeah, because they grab at their necks. Okay. okay. Um, but I, I thought it was one of those things like you know lightning. You never see a good guy use lightning. Uh huh. But you never see a good guy use force choking. But you do, and I think I guess that's on limits. Maybe yeah. lightning is too someday. I don't know. I'm sure I'm getting yeah. a text from Mike right now. Yeah. Um, so he comes in and he basically is like, Jabba, you're going to free everybody. And this is your final warning. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. And then boom, sent down to the rancor pit. Yes. What happens in the rancor pit, Jordan? He dodges that rancor and another, I like that a Gamorrean guard also falls down. Yeah. Like by accident. Oh, and man. gets eaten, and it looks so good. He like he he bites right at the hand joint, and then mm-hmm. he slurps in the hand. Mm-hmm. It it's really scary. It is, but uh, Luke, Jordan, I'm scared <laughs> thinking about it. Luke tries to escape, like going the under the legs thing, and mm-hmm. opens a door, but there's only a gate on the other side. Yeah, and he only he has one more chance, and he closes the other gate right on the Rancor's head. And it yeah. dies. And now, then something really sad happens. When it dies, this is... So this is like the magic of Star Wars good world building. Yeah. This whole scene like sums up what I love about the the non-main characters in Star Wars. Yeah. And it is, one, the Rancor when it dies has like a puppy sound, and it feels sad when it dies. It's yeah. like... <laughs> and then... Um, I'll do that again for everybody. <laughs> And then the Rancor trainer walks in, shoves a guy aside, and he's, like, bawling. He's very sad. His pet died. His pet died. and then killed. What it does that's so great is you sit there as the viewer, and you sympathize with this guy we've never seen before. And we'll never see again. No. And you also think to yourself, like, what is this whole story? Like, does he... Is he like a farmer? What like you just start thinking about these things and it's it's filled in so many gaps of world building. It's uh-huh. it's just masterclass. Yeah. That's one of the best like moments in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um by the way, should be noted that in the Book of Boba Fett, Danny um Trejo, I think the guy from yeah. Spy Kids. Yeah. Um he is a Rancor trainer. Cool. Yeah, and he's cool. Yeah. It was fun seeing him in the world. Um, yeah. So then we go to Jabba's barge where you thought his palace was this whole time. Yes. Um, and they're going to uh, the Dune punish Sea. The Dune Sea. Where there's wink, a giant wink, worm that wink, lives in wink, there. To um, uh, execute Han, Chewie, and Luke. Yeah. And um, I like how before they go, he says, I'm going to give you guys a quick death. And Han's like, oh, finally, something fast. Yeah. <laughs> but the death is them being eaten by a sandworm and being digested over a thousand years in its stomach. <laughs> right on. Yeah. I And and again, C-3PO, like the performance is so great where he's like, Jabba has decided to be merciful and allow you to digest for a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Like he's realizing the words as he's translating them. Mm-hmm. So good. So they have to walk the plank. They do. Um, and then they give the signal. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and we didn't mention that Lando's been like in disguise the whole time. Yes, he has. And I have that action figure of him in that disguise. Cool. Um, so what action figures do you not have? Uh, many. Okay. Probably Because you said you had action millions. figures of things that I never even would have thought they'd made yeah. action figures of. There, There's a cool guy in this movie who who is um, like telling the droids where they're going to be in Jabba's palace. And I have that guy. And then I have the guy that he's, it's pushing down a machine that's like pressing on this robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it's got like that. Brand- it looks like it's branding it. I don't think that's what it's doing. But. Yeah. I guess I got a lot of Return of the Jedi specifically. Yeah, because you said this a lot throughout the movie, and it wasn't annoying. Oh, it was? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, they're at the Dune Sea. The R2 shoots a lightsaber up. It is. It releases, and we see a color we haven't seen before, which is green, mm-hmm. which is very cool. And then a big fight ensues. Mm-hmm. Now, can I talk about another contradiction? Yeah. Which I think you'll have a lot to say about. There is a character in the Star Wars universe, and his name is Boba Fett. Now, Boba Fett looks really, really cool. Um, but he does he just captures Han, and then he's on the the barge, and a blind Han Solo like hits him on his jetpack, jetpack, makes him fall into the Sarlacc pit, and he dies. By accident. As a joke. By accident. That's it. But for some reason, I, and I never thought this when I was a kid. Like, that that was just like, that's what happens. But for people, I guess that was, like, hard to swallow. And it's like, no, Boba Fett. And I, I don't know if fans wanted this or if, like, an author wrote this first. Mm-hmm. But fans were like, no, he survived the Sarlacc pit. And all of the Mandalorian show, I was just like, please don't bring him into the show. Because I just don't, we just don't need to pay service to like these silly little things and then they brought him in the show and i was like okay they did bring him in in a cool way so i'm okay with it did and he crawl then, out of the worm well then on the book of boba fett he crawled out of the worm and it was really cool and i was like i guess i'm okay with it. i i just think that they they created one of the coolest looking characters and had no idea that they were sitting on a gold mine yeah until you know years later and people are just like do you guys, they're still talking about that Boba Fett guy. Yeah. Do you guys remember that character? No, no one remembers that character. They show a picture. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, let's make some money. I right. think that's what's happened with that character. But it's just, I mean, those are the the weird, I would almost consider them limitations of the universe, is now it's like everything has to be connected or explored. Yeah. And it can't just be like the Rancor trainer where his Rancor died. That's sad, mm-hmm. and I relate to that. Mm-hmm. That's that. No, it has to now have a show called The Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. But the contradiction is I like the show, although the show, ironically enough, recognizes that maybe there's not enough to deal with on Boba Fett because they spend half of their time with other characters, and he's hardly in the show, and it works out really nicely. <laughs> so, In your opinion, apparently a lot of other people, it's not good. Yeah, a lot of other people don't like that, but... Uh, that show was great. Yeah. It was actually great. Um, anyway, so there's that. Uh, killed Jabba. We talked about that. Um, Han is trying to help Lando get out of the Sarlacc pit, and he's shooting blind, which mm-hmm. is funny. There's a lot of good humor he's there. He's not completely... I don't think he's blind anymore. Yeah, yeah. But he can't really see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
they escape. Mm-hmm. This is like the first time we've seen Luke fully in command of the situation. Yeah, he he definitely gives a different performance than in. I mean, he gives a de- different performance in each movie. He really does. I think he's like crazy good in this movie. Uh huh. I agree. And I think he's crazy good in all of them. Yeah. But this might be his best of the performances. Yeah, probably. I really liked him in The Last Jedi, too. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, so, I... When he was really good as that baby. As that baby? In the prequels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what did you think of Carrie Fisher's performance in this movie? Um, I thought she was fine. I thought she had some really good moments. But also, I feel like she didn't really have anything to do. Uh-huh. But of course, she, there were important things where she, like, we find out officially that her, Leia and Luke are brother and sister. Yeah, but, we do find that out. So when they, when they go to Endor, the moon, um, when they first go, I know they had the whole meeting, but I was just like, I don't even really understand what they're doing. And then they're just like racing around on this planet in between trees and stuff. I think and that's a you. I think you just kind of always a me it. thing on those things, but because they, they're just trying to deactivate the shield so that they can destroy the Death Star. Yeah, I just don't really know what she's doing most of the movie. Yeah. Well, she does wear a slave costume outfit, and mm-hmm. she did instruct Daisy Ridley when she joined Star Wars. She said, "Don't let them put you in an outfit like that." Yeah. Um, which catapulted her to sex symbol status. Yeah. Um, which sounds like from the conversation with Daisy Ridley, sounds like that wasn't something she wanted to have happen to her. Yeah. Uh so that happens to her, to Princess Leia. And then there's you know, she's helping out in the mission and stuff. She's there to bounce off a of Han and She just doesn't feel like a princess anymore. No. Like like because in the first movie it's like she was ki- a kidnapped princess. Yeah. But she's actually more badass than that. She actually yeah. does stuff. And now she's like a rebel. Now she's like a rebel. Kind of a and grunt. And then she's part of the team. Yeah. So I, I just feel like they're, they're in a, potentially in a way, like, in this trilogy, by yeah. this movie, she's kind of completed her arc. Right, right. I think is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I just, I kind of felt like on Endor, specifically, uh, it felt like she, as an actress, was maybe a little checked out. Yeah. Um, I thought she's really good in, in the scenes where they're at the like the actual like tribe but when she was in the action and stuff like that it felt like she was a little checked out and i've never thought that before yeah um and oddly enough i felt like harrison ford was a tiny bit too much in this movie i agree and i feel like they were so lovey-dovey in this movie and i've never noticed that yeah um they're just in that honeymoon phase yeah i guess we are kind of skipping ahead though to endor yeah um but let's go to now the Emperor shows up. Yeah, at the Death Star. He looks cool. He looks cool. And the performance is up there. I'm one of the best villains. Yeah. And we got the red, like, Royal Guard uh-huh. Stormtrooper Which guys. I didn't remember that being in this movie. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, And then we go back to Dagobah. And I always forget that Luke, when he shows up at Jabba's palace, he is not a Jedi yet. He's still yes. not a Jedi. So when this part happened in the movie, which I love the scene. Yeah. Well, on the same token, this movie is so slow. So much yeah. slower than the other two movies. 
it, that's how it feels like the pacing sure. and, and i think that's fine it's just a different movie than the other two well this one keep talking keep talking about it but but like he's with yoda talking about how he's not a jedi yet and we we find out well one yoda's really old and really sick he's like 900 years old he he's like on his deathbed well yeah. he's literally on his deathbed right and he's telling luke that he will become a jedi once he's dealt with darth vader his father yeah. Now, what I like, what he doesn't, what is inferred, I think what Luke thinks is like, I have to, what that means is I have to kill him. But I, I, that's never said. It's never said that he has to kill his father. Oh, yeah. yeah but just it's almost him. like he has to just face him and deal with it however that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I like that. I don't know. I just love that. Because if it was this whole thing where it's like, you have to kill him. It's right. like, that doesn't sound like a Jedi thing, though. Right. Especially when... Luke over anyone else is like, I, I still feel good in my father. Even, yeah. even Yoda, I think is like, he's too far gone. Yeah. But so I, I love all that stuff. Right. Cause it, it really, it, it, it hits, you know, in the sequence with the emperor where he is like, you know what? I'm not going to fight you anymore, dad. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, that's the moment where he is now a Jedi where he like decides, you know what? I, I, I would rather be struck down than ruin your chances at redemption. Yeah. There's good in you. Yeah. And then he has become a Jedi. Right. Um, But yeah, when he shows up on Dagobah, he talks to Yoda and he's like, let's finish the training. And Yoda's going, no, no, I'm, I'm too tired. And then he crawls up on a bed and dies. Yeah. And I, I'm vaguely remembering that bumming me out as a kid. That bummed me out too. Because but Yoda's as cool as it gets. He doesn't really die. As in yeah. Jedi lingo, he's basically reaching Nirvana. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the puppeteering on his death is crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it can't be overstated how insane these artists are. Mm -hmm. He's uh, it's 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 uh, it's unbelievable to me. Mm -hmm. you, you again, like Jabba, but more emotionally, you see the life leave him. And then, you know, he, like, disappears, as they do. And Luke now has to go and take care of his 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 battle with his father. Mm -hmm. um, maybe this is... I think that's maybe why the movie just is... I'm noticing things that I haven't noticed before, where Luke's journey and story is so clear in this movie. Yeah. And Han and Leia's story isn't... There really isn't one other than them helping the mission. Yeah. There's a there's a little bit of tension, but it's kind of it's it is kind of the the classic movie thing. Uh-huh. Where in, in a little bit uh Luke tells Leia that they're brother and sister and Leia's processing it and she doesn't tell Han right away uh -huh. when he asks her. So he thinks that they're in love. And we kind of have to like let that whole thing play out for like the next 30 minutes or so. Yeah. Maybe even longer than that, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I would I would push up against it because I think about the last movie. Han and Leia are stuck in a situation where the whole movie they're just trying to run, and that's it. As far as like a plot goes, they just have to get away. Yeah. Um. But I think I think the difference between them getting away and them deactivating a shield in these two movies, and this is just off the top of my head, is that like in the other one you have asteroid field space worm 
uh, uh, the cloud city, like all of this crazy stuff going on. And it's like, they keep on getting into crazy situations. Like, how are they going to get out of here? And this one's a little more like they got down there speed bikes. Those are cool. Mm -hmm. Then it's like little bears save them. Okay. And I guess there's tension because they get caught in a trap for a little bit. And then they just have the final battle. But in the last movie, they had like development. Sure, I mean, yeah. they like fell in love, but, and they but I, professed that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think like, and they they were separated by the end of the movie, right? And and then in this movie, their love's not really tested, and right. that doesn't need to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so then that being said, there isn't what like what happens to their character. Right. It's just a little like, oh, are you going to go with Luke? That's a little upsetting. And then it's like, no, he's my brother. Okay. Yeah. And I, and all I'm saying is because Luke has so much to go through. Right. And, and it's almost like, I'm not saying that there needs to be as complicated. That probably would just be too much. Really. Yeah. But it does be, it is kind of like, oh, I just want to watch the Luke stuff. <laughs> right. Right. It's right. how I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I would agree with you. And and I would also add like that if their if their plot had a little more tension, maybe it would trick you into not always wishing you were back on the Death Star with Luke, mm-hmm. you know? Um and it's a it's also just a little bit slower paced, I think. Yeah. The whole movie. Which I think is always just a little com- not confusing. Uh-huh. Almost like a like a whiplash feeling because it's the last one. Yeah. And there is a big epic battle. There is, yeah. Um but you would think that there would be a more a, a bigger sense of urgency, but I think I'm just used to it because right. of franchises. That's what we get these days. Well, and so you're actually reminding me of of something. Um there's the Patrick Willems video on trilogies. Yeah. Uh, that we watched, and he kind of made the argument that it's really hard for them to make a good final sequence, yeah. like final movie, because a lot of times the first movie will take care of all the characters. Mm-hmm. They'll go through character arcs. And then the next movie, you have to kind of reset mm-hmm. and do new character arcs. And then by the time you get to the third movie, like everyone's already gone through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes it's like one big arc through the first two movies. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, but in this movie, like Han and Leia are as characters are are pretty much established and good to go. Uh-huh. Um, Luke still has a bunch to get through, but even him, uh, I think it totally, absolutely works. I'm I love the, all of the Luke stuff, but he has kind of by the time we see him in the movie, he's kind of like finished his arc. He just now has to follow out the actions of it. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Okay, what what do I, you- I think that he's not finished. Okay. Simply. Yeah. Until the end of the movie. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Especially you're right. because in the oh, first right. movie when the Jedi stuff's introduced, it's so like um, archaic and vague. Yeah. That there is a lot, there's so much room to grow. Yeah. Um, when like with Han, he's a smuggler. He's kind of selfish, but he's a good guy at the core. Yeah. He falls in love with a girl, which is something that's kind of outside of his thing. Right. You, you know, mode of operation. And then Leia, kind of the same thing. Like, she's a devoted person to the cause. Falls in love with this guy that's kind of selfish. Yeah, but it actually works perfectly right. together. Right. Beauty and then and that's the beast. It. Sure. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think I do agree with you. Yeah, um, but one thing though that is nice in this movie, as far as like Han Solo's character arc, is when they're they're discussing the plans and what they're gonna do, and the fact that he is so Lando is gonna now be like the general on this mission. Uh huh. And Han's going, well, good luck, man. That's crazy. And then they describe how there's gonna be this secret ship that's going to go down pretend they're imperials and deactivate the shield and lando's kind of like whoa who'd be crazy enough to do that and they're like and that'll be led by han solo Mm -hmm. and he then he then he gets the the great you know like cheery moment where he's like yeah i i got a i got the crew but i don't have like the whatever so i don't remember what he says and then Leia's like, count me in. And well, Chewie... then Chewie, Chewie speaks up and he's like, well, I didn't want to speak for you, pal. Yeah, yeah. And Chewie says something like, of course I'll go. And, I'm Lu- and Luke like walks in and he's like, and me. Yeah. Um, By the way, I love. Wait, wait, hang on. Let okay. me just finish. But but what I really do love about that is it is a completion of his arc where he went from selfish smuggler to now he is just, he actively volunteered. Uh-huh without anyone else's approval uh-huh. and did it on his own self-sacrificing. Yeah. And so I like that. Go ahead. Yes. I love uh, when Han is melted away from the carbonite and he's put into a prison cell and Chewie's mm-hmm. there and they're reunited and Chewie's like embracing him and, yeah. and Han is kind of like squirming like, I'm okay, I'm okay. But then he kind of like calms down and he and lets Chewie himself- strokes his hair. He lets himself be, be embraced by Chewie. He's like, I'm okay. Oh, I love that's it. good. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say I am getting into the. I, I want to reiterate that I love this movie, and this is still fine, Micah. This still ranks very high on my Star okay. Wars. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but so this is something that I noticed as well in this very scene. Le- Luke comes in and Leia goes, "You look different." And Luke says, ask me about it sometime, but not right now. Yeah. Because it's about his sister. Yeah. That he now knows that she's his sister. Yeah. Now, this reminded me of something that happens at the end of another trilogy in Star Wars, which is episode nine. Do you recall Finn, throughout the whole movie, keeps turning to Rey, and he goes, he goes like, hey, I need to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, it's not a good time. And then he's and like- And he wanted to tell her that he was like force well, sensitive? Yeah. Okay. Um, something they don't ever say in the movie. Not do that. Because you had to buy the book that had the companion book that oh. said why. I know. I know. That's ludicrous. Um. So he he says that like two or three times he in the movie. Little, he says it a lot. To, two two or three times being a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's like rule of threes. Yeah. You know. Um. And so it's confusing because you as the audience, if you didn't buy the companion book or if you didn't Google it, you're like, what was he talking about the whole movie? Was he in love with her? Was he, there's so many other things. And I didn't know that they were going to say something as kind of silly sounding as force sensitive. Yeah. So it just, it literally doesn't make sense to put that in the movie. And it doesn't affect Ray at all. I mean, other than like, good for you, buddy. Which we'll get to that. Okay. But I realized... That this movie and this exact scene is the good version of that. Yeah, because they resolve it. Because Luke is like, ask me about it some other time. There's a little bit of tension, but then it's actually resolved later. Yeah. And I feel like potentially the writers of that movie were like, let's kind of do that. 
And then yeah. they didn't put it in the movie for whatever reason. I don't oh, know. They. Yeah. Um, so then, then they get down to the forest moon of Endor. Okay. And there's the speed racer chase. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. I think it's cool too. Do you want to know how they did it? Okay. Um, so they went outside of Crescent City. Wait a second. Oh my gosh, we live close to there. Woo! I've been there. Uh, we Jordan and I discussed how since where they filmed Endor is like an hour away from where we live. Hour and a half, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a little bit less magic in this movie as far as locations. And Endor is... I mean, when I'm in the Redwood Forest, it's absolutely... Um, Breathtaking. Breathtaking. But when you're watching a movie that's filmed there, it's a little less exciting than like an ice planet. Yeah. You know, or like even a desert planet. Because it's like, I don't see that. But it is refreshing. But it is refreshing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more of like a very personal funny note, I think. Um, But yeah, so they took a Steadicam and they walked through the forest um, and they shot at one frame every second. Okay. And then they projected it back at 24 frames a second. So it's really fast. Okay. And that's how they did that. And they made that effect of it, them like flying so fast That's through. That's cool. Yeah. It looks really good. I wish Pippin would really stop par- barking. I, I know. He just, he loves this movie and he's got to have his say. Yeah. I, I also noted that the sound effects are out of this world. In this scene. And there's no music during this scene. There is no music. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all of it is just I I love the the speed racer. I have one of those, and you press a button and it blows apart. (sighs) So it's in my parents' attic if you ever want to look at it. How much coin do you get for that? I don't know, probably twenty bucks, maybe. Yeah. It's unopened and highly used. It's unopened? I mean, it, it is open and highly used. Oh, okay. I was like, well, actually, maybe. <laughs> I, you know, I always kind of kick myself. You were that myself. kid that would get toys and not play with them? Oh, no. I absolutely would play with them. Um, I couldn't, like, wrap my head around people not doing that. Um, I know. I, I have this funny thing where um, someone I went to elementary school with uh, went to a birthday party of this person. Yeah. And also love Lord of the Rings like me. Yeah. And I bought them, I think, an orc, which is kind of a weird thing to buy a kid. Right. Uh, but an orc and like Pippin. Yeah. Action figures. And I remember feeling supreme jealousy. Like I almost wanted to try and figure out a way where I had to give her a different present so that yeah, I could yeah. have them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was like I gave them to her, opened them, and it's like, can we play with them right now? So you could play with yeah. it. Yeah, I have always kind of kicked myself because when Force Awakens was coming out, Toys R Us, which was still a company at the time, they came out with um, uh, action figures of Leia in the slave costume. Mm-hmm. And parents got very upset. Yeah, yeah. And they discontinued them. Oh, yeah. And I, I kicked myself because when I read that, I thought to myself, I should go to Toys R Us and buy all of them Yeah, that I can find. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have even found any, but yeah. I would have at least known. And I think about that sometimes where it's yeah, like, I could I could have hold, held on to those for like 10 years. Yeah. Maybe maybe not even 10 years and probably gotten hundreds of dollars yeah. for each one. Bummer. So that's my toy story. Yeah. Um, 
That's your Toy Story. <laughs> I didn't even wow. like. That I wasn't was, trying to set that, that up or anything. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, friendly reminder, folks? Next month we will be covering Lightyear the weekend after it comes out. So be ready for that. What's next? Uh, okay, so after the speed racer, um, they then meet the Ewoks. So Leia gets thrown off hers. Yes. Uh, and is passed out. And then Luke continues to duke it out with another dude yeah. and vanquishes him and goes back to meet up with the bros. And Leia has not turned back up yet. Uh-huh. So they start searching for her. And then we cut to her and she is being poked awake by a little Ewok named Wicket. Yep. And it's very cute. He's cute. Huggable. I and like the Ewoks. I'm an Ewok fan. I'll say it. I'm an Ewok head. Um, <laughs> and so she's, uh, it's just, she's trying to sit down with it. It's very like wary of her, but she, she kind of is starting to gain its trust. Yeah. And then um, scout troopers. Yeah. Show up and they're going to take Leia away. Yeah. And Wicket has hidden. And then uh, it like ambushes them. Yeah. And they they get rid of him. Then she goes with Wicket. And then Han, Chewie, C-3PO, and R2-D2, they get captured through a through an Ewok trap. Uh-huh. And then the Ewoks see the gold C-3PO and they start worshiping. Talk him. about crazy, a crazy little, another little crazy world building thing that they really didn't have to do, but they did. Yeah. The, the bait. That, yeah, it's um, crazy. It looking. looks like a deer, but then when you see it, closer it's not it's a creature it's like a weird pig it's like a deer, monkey pig monkey deer thing, thing. A, a monkey pig deer th- monkey thing uh-huh uh yeah it's it's very strange looking every time i watch the movie i always try to like piece together what it looks like because it's yes. also like it's, it's butchered it's, so it's yeah. all messed up yeah and i can't envision what it looks like me neither so it's weird. Feel free to to text me or Instagram me what those look like. But I don't we only want a picture. I want a picture. We don't want words. We want images. Oh, I'd like a word because I probably will forget that we had this conversation. I guess the name of whatever it is. And maybe the context of this conversation. Fine. Because a, fun, yes. a funny yes. thing. Hey. No, maybe, you're right. Maybe our yearly reminder here is a lot. We film, the, we film these. We record these many weeks in advance. And... It's very funny because sometimes someone will text us or message us or something like that, and they'll say something very specific to an episode that came out on Friday, and we, I, I will look at it and read it over and over, and I'll be like, I got no idea what this person said. Yeah. But I'll shout out uh, patron and fan Sierra. She texted me about something, and she took a picture of this timestamp. And she gave me the context. So you get a gold star this month. Mm-hmm. That was great. And I understood what you were talking about. But it feels like now I'm understanding people a little bit more. <laughs> so anyway, just a funny part of running a podcast and being way ahead of schedule all the time. So um, I think uh, as with most of these movies, this one especially, though, is definitely about the artist being the Ewoks and the heroes defeating the studio system and making their own movies. Okay. Just as kind of all the movies I, are I'm sort like of mo- about such that. I'm not a movie viewer like that. I like don't think about those things. Yeah. 
when I'm watching something. But I guess I didn't quite know the how like what was going on. Right, while right. This movie is being made, but yeah. Um, I will say so. We we get a lot of Ewok action at this point. Yeah, and I think the whole contradicting myself thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This part. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also falls under the umbrella of too much, but mm-hmm. I want it all. But also the movie sort of comes to a grinding halt. I think it's a pacing issue, personally. I think it's a pacing issue, too. Because the story and the beats, you know, like C-3PO telling them the story and making all the sounds is very cool. Yeah, and I love that they think that he's a god. And, like, I love when Luke, like, levitates him. All of that's cool. But it does... It feels a little long, and it's a little like, okay, when are we getting back to the What's Emperor? What's happening is yeah. you get to that point. And it is sort of funny. I think it's in episode four that Luke asks C-3PO something to the effect of, like, can you tell me about your time in the Clone Wars or something like that? And he says, I'm a really bad storyteller. Yeah. And I always thought that he was being, like, modest because he tells this great story at the end yeah. of this movie. But then I realized, no, he is a bad storyteller. This is so in the weeds and silly for me to even talk about. But he is a bad storyteller because he tells this story and he does like one sentence from each movie and then it's like everything is fine. Like it, it's kind of, uh, uh, it's he is a bad storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Some One person listened to this and thought that that was a clever thing to point out. Yep. Only one person. And I don't know who that person is. Yep. But leave us a five-star review on Apple and I iTunes. I hope that person does. Yeah. So, go ahead. More Ewok stuff. That's it. I don't know. I I feel like that's about it. Well, Luke, all, at, around this time, he tells Leia that they're brother and sister. Yeah. I do love the design of where they live. I want to live there. Yeah, it's really cool. Kidding? Um, and then he has to leave because he feels Vader's presence and he feels like he'll sabotage the mission if he stays. Yeah. So he gets the heck out of Dodge. And uh, and, and the scene where he tells her is very sweet. It is. The force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it. My sister has it. Mm-hmm. I, I do like how it all starts off with two races. Do you remember anything about your mother? She does say some stuff and he's like, I didn't know my mother. I can't yeah. remember anything about her. I think that's sweet too. That's good writing. I'm curious, and, and now I'm asking for the 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 people who comb and know their Star Wars beyond the movies. Because uh, Leia says she remembers her mother. Now in Revenge of the Sith... She's a, a newborn baby. And her mother dies almost instantly mm-hmm. after that. that. I mean, that is just... That's thinking too much. You well, think it's her force sensitivity makes her remember that? No, no. I, I'm wondering because I, I just think that it's like a huge, like George Lucas just messed up when he was writing Revenge of the Sith. I think he just like totally, because that's that's a crazy thing to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, But I wonder, was the family that Leia grew up with, did she always understand that to be her mother? So okay. I would like to know that answer from, ah, the, from the crazies. Okay. Not the crazies. You're You're not crazy. <laughs> The Starheads. The Starheads. The war the Warriors. <laughs> um so and and another question, and then you can talk the rest of the episode. Um Mad Max three, he meets uh, a bunch of little children that are in this other tribe. Is this a trope on trilogies where we're f- we're found with like childlike 
tribes? I wonder. So if you have any other examples of a third movie that does something like this, I would love to hear that. Hmm. Okay. So now Luke and Darth Vader, please take over for a little bit. Okay. So Luke goes to, he basically surrenders to Darth Vader. Yeah. And his goal is to try and convince his dad that there is still good left within him. Mm -hmm. And Vader is like, you're such a fool for coming here. This yeah. is, it's over for you. You're going to be turned to the dark side. And then they go to the emperor and the emperor is like, I've seen all that's to happen. Yeah. I've, I've known all this was going to happen. I, I orchestrated this. It's so good. Yeah. He's bathing in the river of ham and, and that's I, what we want. I think Darth Vader's doing good. Sebastian Shaw. And it's, James Earl Jones, of course. And James Earl Jones. But that's, it's all just such a good scene. And so there, it's a lot of power of the mind, battle of the minds Yeah. for a lot of this. And the Emperor basically trying to break down Luke and convince him that none of this, that, that all hope is lost. There's no good left in his dad. Yeah. And then the Emperor says, kill me, and then you will finish your quest to be, go to the Strike dark side. Strike me down. Pretty good. Really? And then later on he says when he's fighting his his dad he's like kill him kill your dad and then you can become part of the dark side but he just like kills somebody yeah um do should, you want to just go through that arc and then go, go back down to endor no let's go to endor first because the luke stuff's better it is better yeah. um so on endor <laughs> yeah they get all the ewoks to help them out and they do yeah. this little like ambush plan to uh, divert all of the scout troopers away. Yes. To get inside the base and put the shield down. However, the emperor knows all of this, and he that's why he's allowing it all to happen. So they all get captured. When he he says that he like kind of let the information get out. Yes. Stuff. So he he wanted all this to be. Yes. Up, you know. So then they're captured, but that's when the Ewoks attack, and then there's this whole battle on the ground. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's, there's this whole battle in the air or space. Yes, because it's an ambush. It's yeah. a trap. Yeah. Um, space battle's pretty cool. I mean, even even to the extent of other Star Wars movies, audiences had not seen something like this. No, before. and I'm I'm glad that they figured out a way to put the Millennium Falcon in it still. Yeah, and it's fun that Lando's oh, driving yeah, the Millennium Falcon again. And Admiral Akbar, are you kidding me? Yeah, he's so cool. He yeah, Admiral Akbar freaking rules. Um, which I think we actually already said like an hour ago. We did. But he deserves it twice. So nice they referred to him twice. Uh, but yeah, on the forest moon of Endor, we have the, the Ewoks attacking them. And frankly, the older I get, the sillier this battle is. And a little it's long. silly. And it's a little long. Mm -hmm. And it is a lot of just kind of static camera movements that aren't, Nearly as interesting as, say, the Battle of Hoth. No, but the chicken leg things are cool. Yeah. Um, ATSTs. And, and how they figure out how to defeat them is good. I, yeah. I do agree, though. I think it could have been, like, shot and directed better. Yeah, and, and this, this would go, you know, like, this does remind me of in Phantom Menace when there's the big battle and the Gungans are fighting the droids and Jar Jar is being like, whoops, I accidentally threw something and blew up four of the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Oops. It's, it's like that, but a reserved version of that. It's yeah. still in the, in the realm for me where it's like, okay, we're bordering towards lunacy, 
but I'm also about to see a guy shoot lightning out of his hand, so it's fine. You know, yeah. yeah. Whereas the the Gungans are a little a little past that line for me. Gungan. The Jar Jar Binks. I cannot get <laughs> that's that why down. I keep saying I'll get it down once we see the movie. Oh, you you will. <laughs> Misa will too. Um. Um. So. Yeah, the, the 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 battle in space is really cool. Like you said, it, uh, even at the time, something that's not been done on film before. Yeah, they, they just get better each movie. Right. Um, I still think it looks great to this day. Yeah, and and they have their whole thing that they're trying to figure out too, how to destroy the Death Star again. Right. Um, and then in Endor, Leia and Han are trying to get back into like the base, so they're yeah. trying to like hotwire it. Leia gets shot. She has a gun though, and that's when Luke or Han says to her, "I love you." She says, "I know." We get it; it's cute. Yeah. And they get in. They destroy the base. Yes. The sh- and the shield goes. I'm down. trying to remember what they were doing, but yes, that's what it was. Yeah. So then we can go back to the Luke thing. So, um, Luke and Darth Vader start fighting with their lightsabers. The action is super good i think this is the the um combat choreography has gotten better with each movie i thought it was really good in the last movie but i think it's even better in this movie yeah yeah um it's the, this is probably my favorite part of the music the music this, in this is crazy it's so emotional and there's like um there's i uh there's like a an opera coming in uh-huh. operatic like it feels important Ooh, yeah and it is yeah but keep going so like it, like there's a point where Luke starts using his anger on Darth Vader. Yes. And that's when the music really swells and you're like, "No, Luke, like you fought too hard." And then that's when the emperor's like, "Yes, strike him down." And so yeah, they're fighting and Luke cuts off Darth Vader's hand, which is not a real hand. Yeah. And we we are told that like Darth Vader's more machine than man. Right. Anymore. Like your dad's not even in there anymore. But he just cuts off his hand, and Luke kind of like looks at his own hand. That's a very subtle touch that I don't think I've noticed before. Yeah, like what am I doing? Yeah, we are the same. Yeah, the next next choice I'm about to make good. will determine the course of the rest of his life. Very good. <laughs> okay, now you're losing it. <laughs> so he basically is like, I won't fight him. He throws his lightsaber away. I'm done. Yeah, and that's when the lightning comes out of the fingers. Well, and, and also shortly before that, um, he says something about his sister and Vader. You find out that Vader never knew yeah. that there, he had a daughter. And he, he then that's when he's like, well, then maybe I'll just kill you because I can turn her. Yeah. Um, and then and then the lightning starts. Lightning is cool. Luke, I'm surprised he survives. Yeah. And then that that moment, I mean, this is good camera movement, really good directing. When it's looking at Darth Vader, and I think it's dollying in, I think, as he keeps looking to the like pensively at the uh Emperor and then back at Luke. And then to the Emperor and back. And then he picks him up and he throws him off of the balcony. The Emperor. The Emperor. And then I think how does that emperor come? Let's not back? even talk about that. Yeah. Let's not even talk about that. But that is what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's this great moment. He found his redemption. Mm-hmm. That is. And that's awesome. so. What's interesting? Because I, I know I, I'm a sucker for redemption. I know Luke has already badly like damaged him and everything. Yeah. Um, but it seems like the choice itself 
is what killed his dad. Yeah, to to me, I've always thought that yes, Luke battered him down, but because when he picks up the Emperor, the lightning starts coursing does, through his does. body. Yeah, and it's even like flashing to a skeleton. Yeah, it does. It does, show, which is cool. it looks cool. Oh yeah. So when he throws him over, I I think that the Emperor killed him. Yeah, but I do like to think that part of it is like the choice he made. Well, well, whatever. I'm. No, no. What do you it. mean? Go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Oh, just like. In that moment, it's like his true self came out, his good side came out, and that's what kills Darth Vader, like him, oh, his body, I love and his that. heart, because yeah, that's like the last choice. That would have been a shame if you didn't say that. I love that. That's a great... Uh, yeah, I've never thought of it like that. I, that's awesome. <laughs> you just made the, that even better for me. Um, and Luke wants to take him with him. It takes him all yeah. the way to the ship. And he's like, I'm, we're going. I'm not leaving without you. And his dad's saying, I, I, it's too late for me. I'm already yeah. gone. But he says, take off my mask. I want to see you with my own eyes. And I always think that his eyebrows look so weird. His eye, Yeah, they're very thick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the makeup is good. He has like a dent that goes down Ugh. his head. Yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. I mean, that alone is just like some of the most unbelievable makeup I've ever seen. Yeah. And he says... He says, I've got to save you. And he responds with, you already have. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then the harp one last time goes, dung, dung. As Darth Vader closes his eyes and dies. Mm -hmm. And his theme is now over. Mm -hmm. John, come on. Come on. Come on. Are you kidding me? So then Luke flies down. Meanwhile, he, he, he makes it out just in time because the Death Star is exploded. Yeah, which I, I don't know what it is, but the, there's something just like beautiful to me about that shot where he's taking the ship out and everything is like falling down and he's just barely escaping. I, I don't know why that just really like hits me every time. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, then Lando and the crew have managed to get in to the core of the Death Star. There's like icicles hanging off of it, I think, because it's like deep space, I think. Uh, and that's cool. They shoot it. They fly out. They did it. They destroyed the Death Star. Then they fly down, and they have the big tribal celebration. Uh, D Darth Vader is well. Anakin is has it like a funeral pyre. Uh huh. Uh, I like that shot of Luke standing by it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it goes. It's like. That's a cool song. Um, and also, I, I, I do love the moment a little bit before when Han goes to Leia and he's like, so you, you love Luke? She's like, yes, of course. And then he goes, okay, you know what? I, I'll, I'm going to get out of your hair and I'm just going to go and, and I'm happy for you guys. And she goes, he's my brother. And then they just make out for a while. Mm -hmm. That's cute. I, I, I love it. I love it. But then... Luke looks out. He puts his hand up in this iconic shot and looks at the Force ghosts of Obi-Wan and Yoda. And then a new Force ghost joins them, and it's Darth Vader. Anakin. Uh, I mean Anakin. Yeah, that'd be a better way to describe it. And it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then it shows our heroes, and then it cuts. And that's mm -hmm. the end of the movie. Now, um, for those who don't know or were watching along... Um, 
George Lucas decided after the tr- the prequel trilogies to put Hayden Christensen as the Force Ghost, which is one of those like inexplicable decisions. I mean, I could see you doing it at the time, but you have to realize afterward, like, oh yeah, if that happened in real life, Luke would see that Hayden Christensen guy and go, "Who's that?" Because <laughs> that's not who he saw. Mm-hmm. And even if he did recognize it as his father, it ruins the whole redemptive arc of Anakin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating that people have to, that's like the only way for them to view the movies is to see that stupid mm-hmm. thing. Uh, that That's so annoying. But we watched the Despecialized, so we didn't see that. Um, So that's Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. We finished the series, the first year, the original trilogy. What do you have to say of this original trilogy, Jordan? On a whole? Yeah. It's really good. Are you are you converted yet into being like a a fanboy? Uh I don't know. I I I don't I shouldn't say anything until we finish all of it. Uh-huh. But I don't think that that's in the cards for me. Being a fanboy? Yeah. Only because it's like almost feels like it's something I missed out on. Kind of a gun. The fanboy phase is beyond has passed me by. Is how I've always felt. Okay. Not to say that I don't like it, because I've always really liked it. Uh-huh. Well, you know that I love it. Mm-hmm. But I will say, as far as the exploration of our podcast goes, this is the trilogy that really informs Hollywood's decisions for the next until present day. Uh-huh. Like years from then to present day. I think this really kickstarts people's obsessions with doing trilogies. Mm-hmm. I mean, a few years later, they're going to, well, like 10 years later, they're going to do The Godfather 3, you know? Um, I'm not saying that's... Not 10 years later? Yeah, Godfather's in the 90s, and this came out in 83. The first so, one came out in the 90s? No, the third Godfather came out oh, in the 90s. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I, I am at, in no way saying that Star Wars 3 necessarily convinced them to make a Godfather 3, but it certainly didn't weaken their ideas. Um. So this sets up a lot of that. It sets up a lot of that franchise filmmaking that we explore all the time. And then what's crazy is the prequels are going to set up a lot of things that are still happening today. Mm -hmm. And then we catch up to ourselves and like, what is franchise filmmaking today? And that includes the new Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So Star Wars is kind of the story of franchise filmmaking, but it started as an attempt to become artists that could work outside of the studio system. And then it has kind of eaten its own tail. Uh, whether you like all the movies or not, it has done that. And th- th- so after this movie, George has complete financial freedom. So what does he do? He doesn't make a movie for 16 years. That is wild. He achieved his goal and then he decided not to do anything afterward. That's crazy. So I'm going to read a very sad quote. Um, one of the things I was watching says uh, that, well, actually, I'm not going to get to the quote yet. I realize it's way down the line, actually. So Lucas was a little bittersweet when he finished uh, this movie because he got a divorce. And when the movie finished, he was left to raise his daughter. Uh, I think the meaning behind, like, he doesn't have a family unit. I'm sure he was okay with raising his daughter, but, mm-hmm. well, I'd like to think so anyway. Um, 
I think that speaks to his always bittersweet nature slash never being able to be happy or satisfied. Um, but in between this and the next, uh, with merchandising, he is able to keep pushing technology further and further and revolutionize technology. So he is doing stuff. Uh, his company invents, invents Editroid and Soundroid, which make it, for the first time in history, you can access any frame in a movie you're editing and any oh, soundtrack. Wow. So that's crazy. In 1985, his company invents the Pixar computer, which is later sold and becomes Pixar Animation. Mm-hmm. So he is pushing boundaries. I'm not going to uh, fight against that. But then that speaks to what I said in the first episode. He loves the technical aspect of all of this. So he's pushing the boundaries. Um all of those breakthroughs and stuff make him realize, like, okay, we have the technology. I can now go back to that trilogy, and I can make it what I always envisioned it to be, which become the special editions, which is the first thing he begins working on, and then after that, he starts working on episode one. Now, of course, we're not going to get into episode one, but uh, 1997, that's when those come out. Now, here's this quote. What I was trying to do was stay independent so I could make the movies I wanted to make. But at the same time, I was sort of fighting the corporate system, which I didn't like, and I'm not happy with the fact that corporations have taken over the film industry. But now I find myself being the head of a corporation. So there's a certain irony there that there is... So there's a certain irony there is that I have become the very thing that I was trying to... uh avoid uh which is basically what part of star wars is about that is darth vader he becomes the very thing that he's trying to protect himself against but at the same time i feel good that i'm able to make my movies the way i want to make them yikes i know that makes that makes me be like i hope i just continue to stay where i'm at (laughs) (laughs) I know as artists, like, we always want to get to where we can be comfortable and fine and stuff like that and not have to worry about money and all that. But George Lucas is a prime example of, like, in a way it kind of killed him. Yeah. As an artist. Yeah. Took his spirit away. Yeah. Spirited Um, away. Spirited away. So should we end it there or would you like to hear what they were going to do before the prequels happened? Yeah. You want to hear that? Yeah. So here's a quick little run through. George Lucas, um, during the filming of the first movie, Star Wars, was asked, um, oh, I'm sorry, Mark Hamill was asked if he would be interested in appearing in episode nine. So while they're filming, while they're filming Star Wars, he is basically saying there's going to be nine movies. Okay. But he has that in his head. So I'm just tracking this because this is kind of a wild progression here. And he imagined that they would film episode nine in 2011. What? <laughs> yeah. So he does have these ambitious plans, which is when I go back to like, I think he is an artist. You know what I mean? Like these plans are too ambitious for someone who's just trying to make a buck on toys. So um, that's when he assumed in 2011 they'd be able to make the movie he had in his head. Um, according to Hamill, his character would be like Obi-Wan Kenobi handing the lightsaber down to the next generation. Okay, so there's that first one. 
Then in 1978, he tells Time Magazine that there will be a total of four trilogies. Twelve movies. Okay. And three of the movies would be a couple of odd movies. What's so sad about it? Wait, what? So they would... I, I think... He may have, in a way, back then, kind of been like, oh, yeah, three of them would be spinoffs. Okay, what's crazy about the (laughs) predictions is that they've come true, but he has no control over it anymore. I know. That's the weird thing about it. Yes, yes. So the Illuminati does exist? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so then in Empire Strikes Back, he has a quote when uh, around the release of Empire Strikes Back, and here's the quote. The prequel stories exist. Where Darth Vader came from, the whole story about Darth and Ben Kenobi, and it all takes place before Luke was born. The other one, what happens to Luke afterward, is much more ethereal. I have a tiny notebook full of notes on that. If I'm really ambitious, I could proceed to figure out what would have happened to Luke. So he's got nine still in the can. Yeah, I wonder if they were able to get those notes when they bought, if Disney... Oh, Jordan, when we cover Force Awakens, we are going to talk about it. Okay. Because it's a little controversial. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, But then allegedly a lot of his sequel trilogy he had planned got condensed into storylines in Return of the Jedi. Hmm. That's what one person said. But remember, Lucas is also kind of a revisionist when he talks about history. So it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. Um, So... The original plan had been for Han Solo to die and for Luke was to confront Vader and then go on with life alone. The sequels would have then showed Luke becoming a full-fledged Jedi, Leia becoming queen of the remaining people of Alderaan, her home planet, and Luke finding his long-lost sister from the other side of the galaxy. Luke would have trained his sister as a Jedi and together they would have confronted the Empire Emperor on the Imperial capital planet of Hod Abaddon. And... Then it becomes the sequels would involve Luke's children. And then in 2008, he says, quote, I've left pretty explicit instructions for there not to be any more features. And that's when there's been only one through six. So now he's down to six movies. Back to the quote. There will definitely be no episodes seven through nine. (laughs) That's because there isn't any story. I mean, I never thought of anything, and now they're... What? Yeah, weird. They're just a liar? (laughs) And now there have been novels about the events after episode six, which isn't at all what I would have done with it. The Star Wars story is really the tragedy of Darth Vader. That is the story. Once Vader dies, he doesn't come back to life. The The Emperor doesn't get cloned, and Luke doesn't get married. So in 2008, he's like, it's over. That's it. And that's... Is that in the books? Does that stuff happen? Oh, uh, I don't think so. It's just, it, he almost, like, in just those quotes alone, it just, he feels like someone that um, made these incredible movies that are originally his vision, but when some things get so famous, they're no longer yours. Yeah. They're for the people. They're everyone else's. And it's that he's, like like, a little selfish kid. Yeah. It's like no, but no, that's not that's not how it goes. And it's like it's so big now that it doesn't doesn't really matter what you think anymore. Yeah. That that weird oh, weird Jordan, thing. I'm so happy cuz the way you're describing things you I I'm I'm happy that you don't know the situation involving the buying of Star Wars. I don't know anything about it. Because 
it's gonna make you in the in in the way you're reacting now to some of the things he said i think you're gonna have the same reactions oh man it's it's a little bit rough oh no and it's kind of exciting okay to talk about okay kind of sucks but it kind of yeah. is exciting but um that that was some of the plans. There was also one last thing I wanted to say. The 2008 was the last thing I had for that. But I did remember that there's this creature that he came up with called the Wills, W-H-I-L-L-S, and they are microscopic, microscopic single-celled life forms who are essentially God, the will of the force, and they maintain a symbiotic relationship with midichlorians. Okay, this is boring. No, but in the sequels, we were supposed to at some point, like, visit, like, the microbiotic world of the wills. I'm not interested in that. That's all. That's all I wanted to say on that. I'm not interested in that at all. I, I also just don't like the midichlorian thing, which I think is a... Yeah. I know it's a huge thing. I think it would be an absolute disaster, but I want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> and I know we'll get into the whole midichlorian stuff. We are. Very soon. Next week, in mm -hmm. fact, my dear um okay scott ackerman <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh so go to patreon.com slash m-i-c-a-h-m-c-c-a-w link in the show notes and you can listen to us talk about hidden fortress which is one of the movies that inspired star wars and next month we're going to do a watch along with video and audio for the star wars holiday special and if that's not worth $3, I don't know what in the world could be. I got nothing to say. So, may the force be with you. And with you. 